Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Good morning, Calvary. What a great day to be in the house of God. I have the good pleasure today of introducing to you one of my friends in ministry. I actually met him here in Citrus County. We actually were on staff here at Calvary Church for some time together. He is a gifted communicator. He is a great cook and a terrific actor. But overall, he is a great man of God. I want you to give a warm welcome this morning to Pastor Chris Wood. Awesome. I grilled one really good steak on a staff retreat, and I'm still hearing about how I'm a great cook. I am not a great cook, so awesome. Well, good morning, Calvary. How's everybody doing today? It's an absolute honor to be able to share the word with you this morning, to be able to serve you this morning. Really looking forward to what God has done and what God will continue to do in our midst. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to just open up with, and one of them is um, if you are a guest or visitor, uh, or even if you've been here in the last couple of years, because honestly, I, I, I take advantage of that. I take for granted the fact that there's a lot of people I don't know. Ever since coming off staff, you know, our church has been so many new additions, and there's so many faces that I have not got yet to know the names of. So um, I just want to let you know, if you're a guest or a visitor, or if, or if you're you know, relatively new to our church, you're in an awesome church. It really is. I love our church. I really do. When I was 21 years ago, not that long ago, but <laughs> not that long ago, but years ago, you know, I came to this church for the first time on an invitation. You know, I was a scared lonely, angry, lost, you know, broken young man. Uh, but I came by the invitation of some family, and I met some wonderful people. I got to grow up in this church, got to be discipled in this church, got to encounter the Holy Spirit in this church, uh, got to uh, preach my first sermon at this church, got to propose to my wife on this stage at this church, and she's still not letting it go. I dedicated both my children at this church, you know. A few years, a few years ago when our senior pastor then, Mike Rarick, uh, he came to me and he was kind of sharing some vision. And he's like, you know what, I'm thinking about doing something to reach the college and career age young adults. And you know, would you be interested? And I said, well, you know what, I've never been in college and I don't really have a career, so why not? And so, uh, so I did that for a season and uh, we kind of led a young adults ministry. Um, and then the culture of the church kind of shifted into a small groups model. And then I kind of led a young adults small group for a while. And then, you know, just some things in my life transitioned. Into, so I kind of went into more of a, um, uh, let me see, I transitioned into more what you would call secular work. And then some of the people that we got to see raised up within the body kind of took over in young adults ministry. And I've just been awesome to see what God's done in this place. I've just, so many stories. You know, a couple weeks back when we had our staff meeting, not staff meeting, but our, our uh, what do you call it, the business meeting, uh, we had our general business meeting, and uh, one of the words that Pastor Luke used to describe this church is genuine, and I really feel like that's the case. Uh, we're people, imperfect people, pressing into God. You know, we laugh together, we cry together. We struggle together, and we accomplish together. But through it all, we really see God do amazing things in our midst, and our goal in this church and our heart in this church is, you know, where God starts you is just not where you, that's not where it's ending. That's just the beginning. And so where God finds you is not where he leaves you. And so uh, I'm just excited to share this morning. And um, I got to tell you, it's been a while since I've preached, so I was a little nervous. Um, I share a story I shared in first service, 
And I don't think I've really shared this story that often in this church, but um, my dad was a United Methodist pastor for almost 50 years, you know, just a faithful minister of the gospel for a long time. And I, and I remember growing up watching him every morning, every Sunday morning in our small little Methodist churches that he ministered, uh, he'd get up around behind the choir and take a knee where nobody could see him and just dedicate the message to God. And, uh, you know, something he would say is it's a gift to him before it's a blessing to the people. And so, um, but something I never really shared was my dad, when he was an infant, had a uh, stroke. And so, and they didn't really know how to diagnose it back then, but, you know, it gave him a speech impediment. His eyes were impaired. His hearing was impaired. So he had several disadvantages leveraged against him. uh, But kind of like Moses who said, you know, who am I to share for your gospel? And then God replies, you know, who made the mouths of men, you know, that you should uh, say that I cannot use you. And that, that was my dad. He was faithful to share the gospel and to minister and to preach every Sunday morning for close to 50 years in spite of his disadvantages. And so it's a kind of a humbling experience to whenever I think, gosh, who am I? And then to think of my dad, somebody who had every reason to have an excuse out of not sharing or speaking or teaching, and he just faithfully did it every week for years and years and years. So um, something I just thought I would share with the body of believers and try not to get emotional about. I made it through first service. I'm hoping to do it through second. And so we'll see. So let's go ahead and pray. You know, and if you're close to somebody, take a hand. We're going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. We just thank you, Lord God, that the tomb is empty and that there is news to tell. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this church, in this body of believers. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that you're ministering to every single person. We thank you, Lord God, for the salvations we're seeing in this church. Thank you, Lord God, for the healings that we're seeing in this church, for every testimony that's coming forth week after week, Lord God. Thank you that how, of how you're ministering to every single person. We thank you, God. We give you glory, and we just say, have your way. Be with Pastor Otis and, uh, the, and Pastor Dylan while they're ministering uh, with the youth over at the Holy Spirit Retreat, Lord God. We pray that that would just be a time of encounter for those young people, that you would minister to them, speak to them. And Lord God, I just pray that they would just be completely transformed and that they would be forever changed in your midst, Lord God. And we pray that you would do that same work here. Lord God, we ask that you would speak anything we have planned. We lay at the altar and we say, have your way. We want to hear your voice. And we, we want to hear it loudly and clearly. And we want to be ministered to. And so we just invite your presence and say, have your way in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. And I would like to take a moment. I would be remiss to take a moment to say, can we just honor our senior pastor, Pastor Audie? Um, I love that man of God. I really do. You know, I was fortunate enough all those years to have a great spiritual father in Pastor Mike. And then when when our church transitioned a little over a year ago, um, somebody who was a great spiritual big brother to me, Pastor Otis, I got to see him step into a spiritual father role, and it's been really awesome. And so they're right now having a great time, and uh, those children, those youth, should I say, are getting wrecked for God, so it's just awesome. So, So, uh, we've been in a series called I Can See. Everybody say, I Can See. And it's funny, I was going to do some sermon recap, and uh, I wasn't in second service last week because uh, I'm a first service guy and I had to leave and go to work. And so I was, you know, telling some people, well, I'm going to recap what Pastor Audie preached last week. And they said, oh, you weren't there, were you? He didn't preach last week. He didn't preach. I, was, I, I know I, I come home and I'm like, oh, it figures. The one service I don't go to, Facebook is blowing up. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And they said, the Bible's happening. <laughs> Things are happening. <laughs> and so... Some sermons you hear and some sermons you see. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is when you look in the New Testament, almost all of the preaching was just God showing up and doing something crazy and then God anoints somebody to stand up and explain what just happened. 
And so you guys got a chance to see all things become new for a lot of people last week, and it's awesome. So with that being said, I'm going to try to recap what Pastor Otis was going to say last week before uh, God showed up. So we've been in this series called I Can See, and the idea is this. You know, we are in a crazy world right now. A lot of things seem uncertain. A lot of things seem crazy. For me, it's just tempting to just turn off the news um, because every day it's something new. Everything, it's just something that seems unstable. And it's never more important than it is now in seasons like this for the church to have clarity and for the church to have vision. And that's the idea behind this. Uh, Pastor Adi uh, opened up this series by sharing the mission of the church. And the mission is this. We got it on our walls. Many of you know it by heart. And let's say it together. Together, extravagantly loving Jesus and together, selflessly loving people. It's a uh, mission of the church that we hope would become the culture of Calvary. It's something that's based uh, basically off of the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second, loving your neighbor as yourself. And then last week, Pastor Otis transitioned us, at least he did in first service, uh, into the second part of kind of the culture of Calvary and this idea of I can see, and that is talking about the vision of the church. If the mission of the church is the culture we want to create, the vision is what we want to see as a byproduct of the culture. And the vision is this. It's the thing that we see printed on the back of our shirts. It is to see people saved, healed, empowered, launched into their calling. And last week, Pastor Otis talked about what this, uh, what this, uh, what the vision is based out of. We've based it out of uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and it's a section of scripture that's commonly referred to as the I wills. It's the I wills of God. And uh, the Jewish people would commemorate this portion of scripture, every Passover Seder, by drinking of what they call these four cups. And these four cups had different names, and I'll go through them quickly. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification, where we get the word salvation from. The second cup is the cup of deliverance, where we get healing. The cup of redemption, where we get the idea of being empowered. And the cup of praise, which is the idea of being launched, and you will hear about those two in the coming weeks. And last week, Pastor Otis talked about the first cup, the cup of sanctification, the cup of salvation, which he may not have preached in second service, but we certainly saw. And the, the, the verse of Scripture goes like this in chapter 6, verses 6. I think we got that up on the screen. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And so last week, God, uh, Pastor Audis talked about that first part, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, it's funny, when I was prepping for the sermon, I was in my living room and I'm sitting there kind of studying and reading and everything, and my daughter comes up to me and she says, Daddy, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, you know, I'm studying, getting ready for the preach. Daddy hasn't preached in a long time. And she's like, ah, hold on one second. And she goes, comes back, and she brings me her Jesus Storybook Bible, and she says, you can use this to preach if you want. And so I'm going to. <laughs> the portion of Scripture that Pastor uh, Adi talked about last week is the idea of God liberating the people of Israel out of Egypt and how that's a picture, a type, and a foreshadowing of what it looks like for the life of the believer. When God comes and rescues you and delivers us from sin, he literally takes us out of the bondage and slavery of our sin, and that, that mirrors what happened with the children of Israel in Egypt. And what happens is that God takes you through uh, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and leads you through dry ground, 
through the waters of the Red Sea, and then after being delivered out of the Red Sea, the sea coming down and drowning the enemies as they pursue you out of slavery. And that's what happens in baptism, is that you are drowning, God is drowning the, the, the slavery that's pursuing you. And I really feel like there's a really good uh, portion of the Jesus Storybook Bible that encapsulates this very well. It says, when the Egyptians tried to follow, the walls of water crashed back down on them and swallowed them up. God's people were safe. They danced and laughed and sang and thanked God. When there had been no way out, God had made a way. Many years later, once again, God was going to make a way for them where there was no way. From the beginning, God's children had been running away from him and hiding. God knew his children would never be happy without him, but they couldn't get back to him by themselves. They were lost. They didn't know the way back, but God knew the way, and one day he would show them. And that, I think, really beautifully illustrates what God did with the children of Israel and Egypt and what he does with every believer when they come to Christ, leading them out of slavery. And so what we're going to talk about is the second portion of the scripture where it says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, that sounds a lot like the first portion where it says, I am the Lord that will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And the second part says, I will free you from being slaves to them. But basically what it's talking about is the idea that, yes, God wants to take you from being slaves out of Egypt, but also God needs to get Egypt out of you. He needs to get you out of slavery, but he also needs to get a slavery mindset out of you. That even though uh, we're, not in, we're not under the bondage of sin and slavery, it's, you know, it's, its power has been cut off, it's dead to us, there's a sense in which there's a mindset that we have, having come out of slavery, that God needs to free us from in, in this sense. Um, Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, kind of puts it this way. He says, God drowns our enemies, but the, the temptation of every believer will be to resuscitate them. To give them CPR and to bring them back and to be put back in bondage to them. So there's a portion of scripture, Exodus, if you got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 15, starting at verse 22. And this is the children of Israel immediately after being delivered through the Red Sea. It says this, it says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and then moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in the desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. The, then, so Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water and the, made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decrees as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God who heals you. After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found the 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. So what we see here in this uh, passage of Scripture is immediately and ironically after being delivered from the yoke of the Egyptians and seeing God do the miraculous in the parting of the Red Sea, it doesn't take long for the Israelites to begin complaining and wondering what they're going to drink as if God can't do miracles with water. Um, and so God takes this moment to reveal himself in a way that he had not yet done. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. Now, the uh, Hebrew words that are translated into the Lord that heals you is called Jehovah Rapha. It's one of the names of God, the Lord who heals you. The word Rapha in the Old Testament and the Greek word sozo in the New Testament both basically mean the same thing, and they're both translated often as healed, but they both basically mean to heal, to preserve, to make well, 
to recover, to restore, and what we're going to talk about today, and that is to bring wholeness. One of the things I really love about Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, in Genesis and in Exodus, was immediately after the fall of man, when man sins, and there's that separation between God and man, what you immediately see is this process where God begins to draw the people back to him. He begins to uh, begin that process of wooing the people back to him. He begins to reveal himself to them uh, through signs and wonders and various ways. But one of the ways I really like is the way in which he reveals himself to them through his name. Often in times when God wants to reveal something about himself to people, he reveals, he reveals it by means of saying, this is who I am, because there is no difference between his name and who he is to his people. And in this instance, the way he reveals himself to the people at this moment of transition is, I am the Lord that heals you. I'm going to submit to you this morning that God often uses seasons of transition, because that is what this is, as an opportunity to do a work in us of healing and of bringing wholeness. God will often use, use a season of wilderness, a desert, a time, kind of like what Pastor Otis talked about a few weeks ago with his last sermon series, of transition. Uh, 2015 and 2016 um, were, for many people, kind of a rough year or years. Big, year, big time of transition for a lot of people. I know in my life, lots of change. And change, whether good or bad, can be, um, what's the word? If, you're, if you like things that are steady, stable, and if you just want to stay comfortable, change can be kind of violent. Good or bad, change just kind of uproots everything in your life and kind of you find out what's important during change. I know in between 2015 and 16, we welcomed a new child. We got in a car accident, so I had to get a new car, uh, got a new job, uh, company transitioned at the job, so we got a new boss, then another new boss. Uh, we transitioned here at the church to a new pastor. Uh, we got a new president. And to make things, to top everything off, the lady who'd been cutting my hair for 12 years retired, so I had to get a new barber. And so it's uh, just one thing after another, change, 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 change. And if you're like me and if you're comfortable, that's just your worst version of hell. So, so but here's the thing. Transition and change can be painful, but pain is not what God wants to heal. Pain highlights what needs to be healed. Pain's actually a gift from God. If we didn't have pain, we would never know the areas of our lives that need to be ministered to. Benjamin Franklin has an interesting quote. He says, the things that hurt, instruct. I would uh, wager to say that most of us have learned more out of our seasons of difficulty than we've ever learned out of comfort and ease. We come out of those seasons a little bit wiser, hopefully. We come out of those seasons a little bit uh, more aware of certain things. And there's an interesting um, portion of Scripture in John chapter 5. And it's this story where Jesus comes across this paralytic, and he's at this pool of Bethsaida. And Jesus finds out that this man has been there for 38 years, 38 years in the same place. And Jesus asks a very interesting question. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, lime, sorry, the, blame, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he was in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I always found that an interesting question. But the truth is, I think when Jesus asked this question, it's more of the tone, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Do you want wholeness? 38 years in the same position. 38 years, and what we learn in this story is that healing is actually readily available. All he needs is to get into this water. And, and when Jesus asks him this question, he proceeds to give a whole bunch of excuses for why he can't access the healing. 
I think this, this man in this story, just like the children of Israel in the Old Testament, and just like many of us, have developed what I would call an identity of infirmity, where we take what we're dealing with, what we're struggling with, and then we go ahead and assume it as an identity over our lives. And then we, we actually become comfortable with it. It becomes part of who we are. Um, in the Old Testament, it's kind of a slavery mindset. And that's the idea of God having to take the people through a process to where they no longer think like a slave. Um, I wrote a few things down. Uh, when Pastor Adi asked me to preach, uh, and he told me kind of where he would be in the sermon series, I just immediately jumped on it because it's a lot of things that um, God's been dealing with me in this season of my life in. And so when I'm sharing, I'm basically just up here preaching my quiet time, if that's okay. And so I wrote some things down just so I wouldn't get it wrong. So many times when we seek healing, what we're really looking for is removal of pain and not the accountability that comes with wholeness. There is comfort in the familiarity of brokenness, whether it be in our bodies, our habits and patterns, or in our relationships. Often what we have is what I would call comfortable complacency, where the pain of change outweighs the pain that we're suffering in our condition, and we actually would rather embrace the comfortable complacency than the pain of transition. There is a fear and apprehension in the unknown wilderness of God's process making us whole, and, and that transitions us into promise and fulfillment. Much like the Israelites who looked back on their slavery with misplaced fondness or even a sense of nostalgia, we believers in a time of testing and transition can be tempted to look back on the slavery of sin and bondage as being sweeter than it really was and more appealing than the discomfort of God's process. Um, through this past couple of years, I've had a, what I would call a seasonal verse. It's a verse that I've held on to. Um, I started uh, about a year or so ago reading through the one-year Bible app uh, just because I've gotten so busy. At, you know, I literally need the accountability to say, you need to read this today. And it's actually been really good because typically what I would do with my quiet times is have Bible roulette where it's like, okay, God, what are you going to say today? That'll do. The Bible app kind of puts me in a position to where I'm actually forced to read something I would have normally not have read. And so I'm reading through scriptures I haven't read in years, and it's been wonderful. And there's a little passage of scripture in Psalm 105, verse 19, that I've been clinging onto for a long time, and it says this. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Now, there's more of the scripture, but that's all I've held onto, and that's all I've needed. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. There's a sense in which where we struggle with the idea of God's timing and God's promise, where God has said this, promised this, and I haven't seen it, and what does that mean for me? And what it could mean is, just like with the children of Israel, there's a season that God has to take us through to find out what in our life needs to be uh, removed or healed or made whole to bring us into that place of promise that he has for this. Now, I've had this verse, but I have not lived out this verse perfectly. Uh, just like with the children of Israel, um, I would say this. Every season is an opportunity for e to either complain or to press into God. It's a season to either worship or to withdraw. It's a season to blame God or other things for your circumstances or to say, God, what are you trying to say to me during this time? One of the things I did is I did withdraw into complaining during, you know, some difficult times. Um, I spent a lot of time just kind of being like the children of Israel. I've seen you do this, God. I've seen you do this, God. I've seen you do this, God. But what are you going to do now? Type mentality that I've had. Um, and then I can get distracted in other things. There's plenty of news stories that I can get immersed in to kind of take my mind off the problems that I'm dealing with. So something I want to share with us is some things that I have learned to be helpful during a season of transition. I call it kind of God's medicine cabinet. Things that we do during a time of transition when things seem uncertain that will help us in a time of testing. 
The first one I would say is God heals through his word. Proverbs 4.20 and 22 out of the NLT says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. During a time where everything seems so uncertain, you need to cling on to certainty. You need to cling on to what is true. So much talk about fake news that's making me sick. Can I tell you something? If it's not in here and it's contrary to God's word, it's all fake news. Okay? It's all fake news. Um, Second thing I would say is God heals through his people, community, the body of believers. Proverbs 15, 4 says this, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I would wager to say that most of us, if we're suffering with uh, hurts and pains emotionally in our soul, there's a good chance that many of us have had something really negative spoken over us at one point or another in our lives. Somebody has said something to us when maybe we were a child and we believed it for a long time. So God may have saved you and maybe God has taken you out of Egypt, um, but those words still ring true and they are like uh, something that we've held on to and we have clung on to them as identity. And that's something, that's, that's a form of slavery. That's like that, the, the forces of Egypt that we want to resuscitate and hold on to and, let, and just stay enslaved to them. Um, I would say this, you know, Scripture says that life or death are in, the, are in the tongue, that the power of life or death are in the tongue. There's two things that we underestimate, and that is the damage our words can do and the healing that our words can do. What I love about this church and what I found to be true in, with friends or family and loved ones, people who are close to the Lord, is that it's in seasons that are difficult where people are willing to say what, the, what needs to be said and not what you want them to say. I've been challenged, you know, I've been rebuked. At the same time, I've been encouraged, and I've been, people have shared words of wisdom or prophetic words or words of life with me. Brendan Manning, who I really like, out of his book, The Furious Longing of God, says this. He says, to affirm a person is to see the good in them that they can't see in themselves and to repeat it in spite of the appearances to the contrary. Please, this is not some polyamma optimism that is blind to the reality of evil, but rather it is a fine radar system that is tuned in to the true, the good, and the beautiful. That when you have people who will be able to speak into your lives and minister to you in a way by not seeing what you're going through and then identifying you with your struggles, but they see what God has placed in you and what God wants to do in you, and that's what they see, and that's what they bring out with their words. The second thing I would say out of this is that James, out of James chapter 5, verses uh, 14 through 16, and it's the idea of healing within community, he says this, he says, are there any sick, are there any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well, and if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray over each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. In a time of testing, it can be tempted to withdraw, to isolate yourself. And, you know, I've struggled with that, where when I should be pressing into community, I withdraw into solitude. And that's a dangerous place to be because that's where the enemy can pick you off. And that's where he can speak lies to you and there's nobody to tell you otherwise. 
Um, and community is important because it's always helpful to when you're struggling with something, you have somebody to confess that to. I'm struggling with this. Can you please help me? It's one of the reasons why I really love that series, the Conquer series. I went through it the last time we had it, and it's amazing. Because what happens when you confess and bring stuff out into the open is you realize that you're not the only one. In fact, you realize that you're probably more normal than the other people you're confessing to. But you've held on to certain things, and it's good to bring it out in the open. I had a very... Uh, should I say, interesting illustration this past week of what uh, unconfessed sin looks like, and I found it in my refrigerator. Um, I was cleaning out the fridge, uh, as per my wife's request, and uh, I, I found a section of the fridge uh, that, you know, it's just the area that we don't talk about. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we usually keep our fridge pretty clean. We have a lot of stuff in there. And, uh, but, you know, there's sometimes you have a dish that's been sitting in there for a while, and it's between that awkward stage of, uh, it's leftovers that aren't really good, but it's wasteful to throw them away, so they stay there. Well, they stayed there since Thanksgiving. And um, I, I finally decided it's time to clean the fridge. It's time to get this stuff out in the open and bring healing to my fridge right now and to confess my sins of wastefulness. And so I put some, I had to put some essential oils onto a rag and put it around my face because of the smell. I put on some gloves. I went full hazmat and I just like, I'm going in. And I opened it up and I just, you know, I, I slowly opened it up, you know, just expecting something to move. And uh, you know, even, though, even though my hands were covered and my nose was covered, it was burning my eyes. It was just, oh gosh, you know, like what is going on? This is, this is unconfessed sin right here. I got to use this as a sermon illustration. It was horrible. So I proceeded to clean over the next hour and scrub and to disinfect and then to repeat and uh, do it over and over again. But honestly, as funny as that is, that's a picture of what can sometimes happen in our hearts. I've dealt with this. I've dealt with that. I've brought this into the open. I've conquered this in my life. But there's just that one thing I'm going to keep in the back, and it's going to stay there. And ironically, the longer it stays there, the worse it is to deal with later. It's that one thing that God keeps saying in your quiet time, deal with this, and you're like, no, not today, maybe tomorrow. It's healing to bring stuff out in the open. And, you know, in the book of Acts, Peter, uh, I believe it's Peter who says, repent that times of refreshing would come. He doesn't say repent or else. He said repent that times of refreshing can come. And that's what it's like to bring stuff out in the open to get ministered to. Final thing I'll say is this. God heals through our trials. He heals through them. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God may not bring these things into our lives, but he can certainly redeem them for his purposes. You know, in a time, like I said, it's an opportunity. Each trial, each season, each transition can be an opportunity for either complaining or for worship. And, you know, it's the, it's the people who choose worship, who choose the process of allowing God to take these things and mold them and to make us whole. They're the people who grow in their endurance. They're the people who experience breakthrough. Just like the people of Israel were there at the, the, Mar, the waters of Mara, which was bitter and symbolic of where their hearts were. God can intervene in that situation and make a bad situation sweet instead of bitter before bringing you on to this oasis. And so I'm going to share a testimony this morning, and I made it through the first service, and I'm going to try and make it through this one. Um, I remember when I was speaking with Pastor Audie, I was like, you know what, I really, I'm trying to think of a testimony of healing that I can share, and he just kind of gave me a funny look. 
And he's like, you need to think of a testimony of healing to share. And I was like, you're right. I know one. Um, so many of you know uh, this story. So if you've heard it before, forgive me for sharing it. But I realize that many people haven't heard it. And uh, it, it's the story of my, uh, my son, Bentley. Um, a, uh, you know, a couple years ago, um, I had just started my new job. And shortly thereafter, we found out that we were um, expecting, you know, uh, and we were really excited. You know, we have one beautiful, healthy rambunctious daughter, and she was excited to either have a little brother or sister, and so we were really excited, and uh, shortly thereafter, you know, a few months after finding out we're expecting, uh, my wife and I, while she was pregnant, were in a car accident, and uh, it was right before Christmas, and we were on Highway 200 at a red light when somebody who was on their phone slammed right into the back of us, um, enough to where we, he hit us, then we hit the next car, which hit the next car, which hit the next car, um, so it was that serious, and our car was pretty, you know, totaled through it. And so we're naturally really worried, you know, is she okay? Is the baby okay? Well, it turns out, you know, we were on our way actually to the ultrasound to find out if it was a boy or a girl. And so once all the legal stuff was done and after all the insurance paperwork had been filled out, we go as fast as we can to the um, ultrasound. And yes, we want to find out if it's a boy or a girl, but now we want to find out is the boy or girl okay? We find out really soon it is a boy and the boy is okay. He's doing very well. Everything seems okay. So we go about things as if, you know, everything's fine. And then uh, come May of 2015, uh, the big day arrives. And just, you know, like clockwork, he comes on time. So we rush down to the midwives, and uh, we uh, find out pretty quickly that things are a little bit more difficult than we anticipated. Uh, Danielle's delivery was a little bit hard. And what we found out and what the midwives didn't know was that he was larger than they anticipated him to be. And uh, he actually was over 10 pounds. And uh, had they known, they would have recommended a cesarean, but they really didn't think he was that big. And so because of his size, it was a difficult delivery, and he had gotten stuck in the birth canal, um, which resulted in some oxygen being cut off and resulted in uh, a really hard delivery. It it lasted several hours. um, And my son, Bentley, he broke his arm in the process. And uh, when he came out, he was... um, I mean, he, he was blue, as blue as these lights. And, uh, you know, we just, like, what's going on? What's going on? You could read the body language of the nurses, and you could tell that something's not normal. And uh, so uh, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and uh, they were able to resuscitate him, and he started breathing. And so we thought, okay, we're out of the clear here, or everything's okay. And then we realized that something's not okay. You know, something is a little bit more serious. He's not responding. He's not breathing normally. His heart rate's irregular. Um, And then uh, we find out, uh, we're recommending that we transfer him to the Florida hospital at the NICU unit so they can look over him. And uh, they said it kind of calmly, so we assume they're just going to check him out and we'll go home. And so they take him in the ambulance and they take him to the NICU unit and um, they check him in. And then my mom and I, we arrive shortly after while Danielle stays there to kind of recover a little bit. And uh, a couple hours later, they take us up into the NICU unit and then uh, we get to see him for the first time since seeing him after he'd been born. And then that's how we found him, and we realized it was more serious than we thought. They had him on several IVs. They had him on a ventilator. They had him, um, they, they had him on all, all sorts of equipment and stuff and uh, just to, so he can hold on. And so it was at that moment I realized this is not normal. This is more serious than they led, led us to believe. And so um, 
we just prayed. We did what we could do. We, we sent out text messages to everybody. We said, can you please pray? Can you please pray? You know, th- things are more serious. And people are messaging us, oh, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And they're not hearing back, so they realize, oh, something's not okay. And uh, so we start to panic. You know, we start to wonder, what does this mean? The doctor introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm so-and-so, and your son is very sick. He had contracted a form of pneumonia in the birth canal, which led to a myriad of other issues uh, with his heart, with his lungs. His his heart wasn't oxygenating his blood the way it should. Um, His breathing was irregular, so they had to have him on full respirator. And uh, they gave it a couple of days to see what would happen. And after a while, when it became apparent that he was not going to get better on his own, they recommended a procedure called ECMO. It's a very rare procedure, but it's a very necessary one for someone in those conditions. And uh, ECE, I can't remember what it pronounces, but ECMO is basically a form of dialysis for an infant where it, the, the blood goes through a system which oxygenates it so his body can get all the nourishment it needs. And so we put him on that. And you know, doctors, they do a very good job of, doctors and nurses doing a very good job of making sure that you face reality while being diplomatic about it. So they want to encourage you, but they also don't want to give you false hope. And so as they're explaining all this to us, they said, we have had pretty good success with ECMO here at this hospital. And what they didn't share was the national averages where they don't have really good success with it. It's actually a very uh, large percentage of children that go on ECMO that don't make it. Um, But they did put them on it. And so we just began to do what we knew to do, and that's pray. Um, The the pastors and several people from this body of believers uh, constantly came to visit us, to anoint him with oil, to pray over him, to pray over us. And here's what I would say. During this process of what God was doing in his body, God was also doing something in our hearts because it was definitely a season of testing. Not that God caused it, but God was certainly using it. And we realized that there was some stuff in us during this that came out that probably needed some attention. And so it it tested our faith. It really did. And uh, so anyways, he's on this procedure for about a week. And then one day, you know, we just remember praying and... uh, somebody having a really good encouraging word for us. And we said, you yeah, know, that's, that's nice and we appreciate it. That helps. And, but we didn't really think anything of it at the time. And then we actually went to the hospital that morning, like we do every morning, just expecting them to see him like this. Um, but instead we saw this. And that's him on ECMO opening his eyes for the first time. And uh, he's looking around, kind of responding to what's happening. And, and I remember my wife messaging me and says, He's awake. He's, he's awake, and, and, and he's, he, he looks so good. His skin looked better. Um, his complexion was better. Uh, his temperament was better. His weight looked better. The swelling had gone down, and he seems to be taking in what's happening around him. And so we were just ecstatic. You know, we were just thrilled to find out that he was doing well. And so they kept him on that for another week just to kind of make sure that he got everything he needed. And we decided to go out for lunch one day just to kind of get out of the hospital and get away from everything. And so we went to lunch, and then we got a phone call from one of the nurses saying, the doctors think he's ready to come off ECMO. We think he's ready now. We think he's strong enough. We think he's well enough. And uh, unfortunately, my mo- mother-in-law had read that morning an article which says it's when they come off of ECMO that it's most dangerous. And she didn't share that with us, of course. Uh, but, th- but at any rate, she's freaking out about it but keeping it to herself. And so we go to the hospital, and we, we uh, go to see him. 
and spend some time with them before they do take him off just so we can be there. And so we go over there and we pray for them, and then they wheel them into the, um, to the room where they take him off with this dialysis. And then uh, the next morning we're able to see him again, and this is what we see. The tubes are out, the things are out of his neck, and he's cracking a smile because he's my boy. <laughs> and I don't know what he's thinking there, but I know what I was thinking, and that is that God is really good. You see, here's the thing. I'm a firm believer that all healing is God's healing. Sometimes there's this big tension in the church. You know, does God, can God heal miraculously all the time, or does he use medicine? And the answer is yes. God can do a, a miracle on the spot, but he can also intervene and use physicians uh, through the wisdom that he's given us through medical science. And I, just, and I thank God for that. You know, God, God, there's at least one instance in Scripture of God delivering somebody through a virgin birth, but the rest of the accounts that I can tell are all natural. And so God, I don't think God is against uh, using science or medical means or natural means to heal somebody, but I do know that God did something in Bentley through this process. I had doctor after doctor, nurse after nurse, nurse say, this is not hyperbole. This is not an exaggeration. We don't say this to everybody. We've seen this procedure. We've seen children go through this before. We do not have a word to describe what happened other than miracle. We do not have a word to describe what he went through other than supernatural. Because, yes, he's looking better, but he shouldn't look this good yet. He shouldn't be out this quick. He shouldn't be smiling, but he is. We don't know what's going on, but would you please just thank your church? And so, um, and so I just want to show one more slide. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he was in first service nursery, probably raising all sorts of nonsense and giving them a hard time and being a little torment because he's got a set of lungs on him, let me tell you, and he can cry. And, you know, and as upset as I can get, oh, this kid, he's crying, I can't get any sleep. I remember a time where I just hoped he wouldn't make a noise. I just hoped that he wouldn't make any sound, and now he's making some sounds, lots of them. And so he's doing really well. But here's what I want to share with you, church. If you had asked me before the season of our lives that we were in, you know, is God a holy God? Is he a God who saves us from our sin and our shame and our wickedness? You know, is he a God who took our punishment and paid our penalty? You know, I would have said, yes, look at the cross. But if you ask me in this season, you know, if you ask me, do you think he's a God who takes our brokenness and our, our woundedness and our sickness? Does he take us as we are in our pain and our weakness and lead us to where we should be in health and wholeness through a process of his love? I will also say, yes, look at the cross. And so I just want to say to you, church, God is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. And no matter what we're going through, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, if we're dealing with something in our mind, our heart, our emotions, or in our bodies, you know, he's the same God yesterday as he is today, yesterday, and forever. He is a God who heals. And I don't know how he always does it, and I don't know when he chooses to do it or how long it takes or the process involved. I just know who he is because I know who he's revealed him to be in this season of my life. And so that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. So at this time, I will ask um, everybody to close your eyes and bow. And if any of the altar workers can come up. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com.